Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante, and whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, I want to thank you for choosing to spend your time with me and our guests here on Freedom Mindset Radio. You know, now more than ever in this turbulent time, it's important to share and spread our message of freedom and fulfillment around the globe. So if you get value from this podcast, I have a favor to ask. If you could go wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a positive rating and review, that helps us carry our message further around the globe. And if you wouldn't mind, Post a link to this podcast on your Facebook page. Share it on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, wherever you're at on social media. I want to thank you for helping us take our message to those people around the globe who truly need it. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. Thank you. There have been plagues, there have been viruses, there have been world wars, there have been some pretty atrocious things throughout global history. This too will pass. Hang in there. What does the word freedom mean to you? Only you can define it in your life and only you can decide to build the life of freedom and fulfillment you deserve. This is Freedom Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Kurt Mercadante, and we're grateful you're here. Well, welcome everyone. We are live today. And when we come back in a moment, we're going to talk about manifesting abundance with Dr. Joe Vitale, one of the world's top 50 inspirational speakers when we come back in one moment. So welcome today to the Freedom Media Network. We bring you these interviews live. We've been upping it since the current turbulent times began because I think it's important to help everyone empower themselves, strengthen their mind, their body, their spirit. And we have a treat for you today. I'm sure you recognize our guest today, Dr. Joe Vitale, globally famous author, marketing guru, movie, TV, and radio personality, musician, one of the top 50 inspirational speakers in the world. I'm not sure what the count is. It's over 70 books, popular leading expert on the law of attraction. You probably saw him in the hit global smash hit movie, The Secret. Also, the world's first self-help singer, songwriter. He's a thinker, a healer. And we're going to talk about something today that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't. Ho'oponopono. Want to dive into that. Of course, talk about the law of attraction. Dr. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. I've been looking forward to it. You know, you've arrived when you're on this show. I finally <laughs> made it. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. And you get to see my uh, my coronavirus quarantine beard. I, I I'm not allowed it. to get it cut, so I need to figure out how to cut it myself. Oh, well, it's growing rapidly there. Yes. <laughs> Very distinguished. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, the first question I always like to ask my guests, and I have it on my shirt, is the word freedom. Hmm. What does that word mean to you? Freedom. You know, there's at least two levels of freedom. And the the outer level is being able to do what you want when you want to do it. You have no boundaries. You have no restrictions. There are zero limits to steal a title from one of my books. That's the outer level. The inner level is the freedom to know you are one of the most powerful beings on the planet tapped into the nuclear force of spirituality you can virtually have do or be anything you can imagine so from the inside having that realization is unbelievably superhuman freedom 
And on the outside, of course, being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it is freedom. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And and you write a lot about money, obviously, abundance, healing. Right now, a lot of people are um, panicked fearful, anxious about the, not, not just necessarily the virus, but the economic impact of the virus, not able to go to work. Maybe they've lost their job. Now you write a lot about money, but you come from a place where you were actually homeless at one point. Can you explain that? How you went from homeless to one of the top paid speakers in the world talking about abundance because a lot of people hear abundance and they hear gratitude and they think, well, that's easy for you to say you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Can you, can you tell us about your background for some people who are going through maybe what you went through all those years ago? Well, first of all, I relate because I was one of those people who said, yeah, that's easy for you to say. Whenever I heard wealthy people or self-help people tell me about that, when they said there's abundance in the universe, I would say, where? If they would say, be grateful, I would say, give me something to be grateful for. I was one of those who was skeptical and flippant and critical. And of course, today I'm not that at all. Now I'm one of those that you can be flippant about or critical (laughs) about if you like. So yeah, I was homeless at one point in Dallas, Texas in the late 1970s. I was in poverty for a good 10 years when I lived in Houston. And of course, today I live the lifestyle of the rich and famous and pretty much living the life of freedom we just defined. I have learned a lot along the way, and I've written several books. The most recent is called Money Loves Speed. And Money Loves Speed reveals that what's really going on is an inside-out job, meaning that money has no beliefs about you, but you have beliefs about money. And it's really your beliefs that prevent you from seeing it or attracting it. And believe me, I know the resistance to hearing that because when I heard it, when I was homeless and in poverty, I resisted hearing it. When I finally took it in and started to explore my beliefs about money and started to dismantle them, erase them, and replace them, then money started to come. So very much what I teach is that it's a mindset, baby. It's not about investing in real estate, though that could be something good. It's not about stocks or bonds. or I don't talk about any of that stuff because I don't know that stuff. What I know is that the psychology and the meta-psychology, if you will, the metaphysics of money is what's enabling us to have money or not. I actually believe, and I'm seeing it all around me, that what we're going through right now is going to be one of the best things to happen to a lot of people, Hmm. partly because they're going to learn how to make money from home. They've been told, go to your room. In a way, the universe, if you will, the cosmos, if you will, God, if you will, has said, you know, you all need a timeout. So we're all going to be sent to our room. And while you're in your room, you can watch TV if you like. That's a choice. Or you can Google, how do I open my own business? Or you can YouTube, how do I put up a website? Or how do I create my first product? Or read some of my books or read, you know, there's plenty of other material out there you can read. And start to actually create something that'll give you the very freedom that you wear on your T-shirt and we've learned to define. So I actually have been calling this a conspiracy. It's the coronavirus conspiracy, but it's a divine conspiracy. Hmm. It is a conspiracy for good. 
this is to enable us to take care of our health. Absolutely, nothing matters if you don't have your health. Take care of our health, maybe some of us hadn't been looking at it before, but also take care of our resources and our inner empowerment. Learning how to create, learning how to sell, learning how to profit, learning that, hey, money is a useful tool for good. Make peace with it and allow it. When you talk about beliefs and and and, and I want to get to clearing and how how people can clear those yeah. the, the clear the 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 limiting beliefs out of their mind, but a lot of times you talk about um, the how and people let the how get in the way of the what. Yeah. And how now a lot of that is limiting beliefs. I love that you talk about Socratic dialogue. Mm. And the asking of questions, uh, I think some people, Elon Musk calls it first principles reasoning, uh, where you ask and you peel back the onion. Can you go into that? If, if I'm John or Jane Doe, and right now I want to start a business, but I think, oh, how am I going to do that? And I'm so concerned about step one, two, and three that I can't even define the what I want. What would mm. you say to that person right now? Well, in the new book, Money Loves Speed, I say the number one mistake everybody makes is wanting to know what the plan is before they take any action. They want to know what's the step-by-step -step plan so I can visualize it, so I know what I'm getting myself into that'll take me right to online business, online empire, whatever the visualization is. And I call it the grand mistake, and that's what I describe in the book, because you don't know the plan and the plan does not exist, not right now. Steve Jobs himself said that you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can connect the dots looking backward. And what that means is as you're sitting right here and you say that I want to be making, I don't know, $5,000 a month residual income while I work at home, playing on my computer, selling some digital product. As you say that as the goal, you don't know what all the steps are to take you to it. And because you don't know all the steps, a lot of people just surrender and go, well, I don't know what to do. But I say you always know the very first step. The baby step. There's always a baby step. And that's the only one you have to take. You take the baby step right now and behold, the next step, the next baby step becomes apparent. You take that step, behold, the next step becomes apparent. You can make the whole trip to the end result that you want. It's more important to know what you want and why you want it than how you'll get there because there is no how right now. I tell the story in the book of how I ended up in the movie The Secret. And I swear there is no way to orchestrate that event, to plan that event, to predict that event, to map out step one, step two, step three, step four, and I'll end up, wow, in a globally changing, historically valuable movie. No, there is no way to know that. When I explain in the book, at one point I had written a little book and I started giving it away. And that little book ended up causing a bit of a fan base that just swelled up to millions of people. New York Times wrote about that little book. A big uh, publisher came to me and said they wanted to publish the book. They did publish the book. It was called The Attractor Factor. It's still one of my all-time best-selling books. That book was read by a woman in Australia because a friend of hers handed it to her. And that woman that it was handed to was a movie producer who had the fantasy of creating a movie about the very concept in the book called Law of Attraction. She calls me up and invites me to be 
me in what ends up being called the secret. And how could I have created that? All the way back when I wrote this little book and I started giving it away, there was no thought, there was no hope, there was no calculation, no strategy in the works. And this is what I tell people, a whole lot of what you do is on faith. A whole lot of what you do in this moment is you decide what you want. That's the motivating factor. That's the intention. That's the ignition that turns on your body and mind to go in a particular direction. Plus, you're telling your brain, here's the target. So the intention is what you want to know. What do I want? And if you have a why, that'll give you emotional fuel to keep going. But as for the how... All you got is that first, it's like driving your car across the the country, whatever country you're in. If you're driving it across the country at night, you can only see as far as your headlights. But if you drive that little bit, the next headlight shows the way. You drive that little bit, the road is is uh, made a, a, a visible for you. I can go on <laughs> with all of this. The idea is there is no plan as you sit here. Well, thank you for that. And, and I, I do want to thank everyone who's joining us live right now. John from Columbia, South Carolina. Carolina, she says, hello, Joe, huge fan. Carolina's down in Tampa. We got people on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, joining us, YouTube. Jump in, say hello. Let us know where in the world you're joining us from. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a share. And Dr. Joe, you, you talk about the movie The Secret. And I was going to ask you about Law of Attraction in a little bit, but but since you brought it up, let's talk to you now. And there is a, you know, the comedian Dave Chappelle. I don't know if you've seen his little bit where he talks about the secret. And no, he's, I've seen, I've seen it come around on YouTube a couple times. And this was about, you know, Dave Chappelle had his issues where he, he was stressed out with the daily with, on uh, Comedy Central, left, fled, and, and came back. And, and he said he read the secret. Everyone's talking about the book, The Secret. Actually, it was about the book, not the movie. And he said, they talk about the secret. And he's like, and I read it. And all she wanted to say was, think positively. That's it. That's it. So it was ripping on it. And you yourself have said that a lot of people take the right things from the secret, but maybe not enough or or take the wrong thing. And they think that if you just sit still and say, it's going to come to me tomorrow, it's going to come to me tomorrow. What was missing in the secret? And what do people get wrong most times about the law of attraction? I'm glad you're giving me the opportunity to talk about this. First of all, I love the movie The Secret. Whether I was in it or not, I'd tell people to go watch it. I'd also defend the movie because the movie is nothing more than an introduction to an idea. That's it. It's an introduction. It's not the graduate course. It doesn't give you everything that you need to know to apply it. And I would say what's wrong with the movie is that there's not enough about taking action, which is kind of ironic because I'm in the movie saying your job is to take action when you have an idea. And so this is the other thing that goes on. Everybody sees what they want to see. So a lot of people watch the movie and said, oh, it's just talking about make-believe. You know, you sit in a chair, visualize, click your heels together, and then the doorbell rings, and there's the love of your life or your bike or your car. And, you know, sometimes that does happen. But more often than not, you have to do something. You have to actually take action. And so I have written, you alluded to how many books. I have written, in fact, Money Loves Speed is book number 79, and right after it, which is only a week old, is The Art and Science of Results, which is probably book number 80. So do I just sit and visualize and books appear? 
No, I have to actually type. I actually do something. I have to actually edit them, revise them, you know, all of what is needed. So the movie, I would say, was probably weak on the action step, even though it does hit on it. I would say what people do wrong with the law of attraction is misunderstanding how it actually works. Again, the movie gives you a very superficial view and you think, well, I just have to think about money. That's all I have to do and money will come to me. And what I teach is that'll never work. (laughs) You have to subconsciously have the belief that money is good and you deserve it, plus taking action and everything, in order for it to come into your life. What I have found, and I talk about this in any chance somebody will give me, is that there are counter-intentions. Intentions are what most people have heard of. I want more money. Sounds like an intention. Or I'm go- I in- insist or I will have more money. Sounds like a powerful intention. But if they think money's bad or money's evil or money will corrupt, which are in which are thoughts in their subconscious mind, they will block their very intention. They won't even know it. They'll blame everybody. They'll blame the secret. They'll blame Joe Vitale. They'll blame the president. They'll, they'll blame the virus. They'll blame everything, not realizing it goes back to what I said in the beginning. Their beliefs are creating their reality. And the secret couldn't go into that depth. Now, why Rhonda didn't come out with volume two, volume three, volume four, I don't have any idea. Because she had enough footage from everybody she filmed for the first movie that she could have made at least three more, you know, two sequels. And why she hasn't, I don't know. But there is more to the secret. Interesting, interesting. Well, when you talk about money, you know, a lot of people, myself, I was raised um, and heard it from the church pulpit heard it from my teachers. I went to Catholic school, right? Growing up. And I heard money is the root of all evil. But I also heard, and it was always interesting that often after they tell you that, and often after they say money is bad, they pass the hat and say, give us some some money. And by the way, tuition for my high school is $13,000 a year. That, you know. Um, So money is the root of all evil. And when people have those bad beliefs about money and, and what you're talking about belief, I mean, there's, there's some spirituality here and you're combining spirituality, which is separate from organized religion, spirituality with money for so many people. Why do they see that as dirty? That is the way the culture has been programmed. And I don't care where anybody is listening to this. I know the online world just kind of levels the planet. And so you have people from different countries watching this interview right now. But I have been to numerous different countries, including Russia and the Ukraine and Poland and Italy and Bermuda and Canada and probably everything you can name for the most part. I was in Iran recently. I've been all over the place. And guess what? They all have that belief. Money is the root of all. I stand on stage and I'll just begin it. Money is the root of all and they all go evil. Well, in my book, I blow the whistle on that because that little fragment is not actually what's said. It's from a longer sentence that says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. Now, before I explain that away, I also quickly point out We don't know what was actually written. 
We don't know. This is language from thousands of years ago that was written in a completely different language of the time then it w- and recorded after the fact. And then it was translated, retranslated, paraphrased, modernized, and we get it at, delivered to our table when we go, oh, money's the root of all evil. That isn't even what was said. <laughs> so it's the love of money is the root of all evil is the phrase that is more accurate, whatever accurate is. And so then you look at that and go, well, the wealthy people I have known who have been well-adjusted, who have been spiritually balanced, have never been in love with money. They appreciate money. They leverage money. They use money. They are grateful for money. They don't love money. I'll tell you, your listeners right now, if they just grasp this one idea. In fact, I begin my book, Money Loves Speed, with a quote from Arnold Patton. And Arnold Patton said, the sole purpose of money is to express appreciation. The sole purpose of money is to express appreciation. When I first heard it, I thought, well, there's bound to be an exception to that. And I thought, wait a minute, when I pay my phone bill, I'm glad to have a phone. When I pay a mortgage payment, I'm glad to have a house. When I pay the utility bill, I'm glad to have the internet. And I started to realize, wait a minute, maybe money's just a big thank you. Hmm. You take that on and drop money being evil or drop money corrupting, and money can come into your life because money's as neutral as I got a pen over here. If I said this pen was evil, it'd be ridiculous. I mean, even if I stabbed somebody with the pen, they wouldn't say the pen was evil. They would say I was evil. Well, if this was money, money's the same way. It's neutral. It's nothing. It's an energy piece. It's something we've agreed on. I could use it. I can misuse it. But I wrote another book called The Awakened Millionaire. And I really say that when you have a vision, you have a life mission, you have a dream, money helps you create it, manifest it, and make a difference. Money is good. And, and by the way, I do want to give a shout out to everyone. We have Michael from uh, Mike Plonka from Garland, Texas, joining us. Jasmine from Chicago. Sherman from South Carolina. David from Edinburgh, Scotland. Nice. Sherman Williams, uh, who is a retired Army veteran. Noof looks like he's from Saudi Arabia. Scott from California. Sam, Michael, thank you all for joining us today. And thank you, Dr. Joe Vitale, for coming on the show. You know, a large part of a portion of the world celebrated Easter this past weekend. And, uh, we have been, as I said, we were raised Catholic and have moved away. And in fact, I've been diving into new thought, Charles Fillmore and, and having a different appreciation for what it means and the real meaning of it. And one of the things I, we have four kids. And one of the things we talked about that's, that's difficult, even, even my nine-year-old probably has been programmed right in the first seven years of his life to be, to separate money and and that notion that there's a difference between having money and seeing it as bad and and seeing it as a necessary, like you said, expressing appreciation and loving it and becoming obsessed with it. And I explained to them I used to have a PR and ad agency where I made seven figures, and I was fearful and anxious all the time because. Mm-hmm. I loved the money and was constantly afraid someone was going to take it away. And right now, I think people who have put an attached meaning in their life to stuff, not that there's anything wrong with stuff, um, may be fearful. Because if you attach your meaning to stuff and a crisis happens and takes your stuff away, then it threatens your meaning. 
One story that you write about, um, and, and, and by the way, extending that to gratitude. So if you wake up and you're grateful for the stuff to which you attach meaning, when something like now happens, the COVID-19 and the economics, you tell a story about when you were, um, when you were down uh, several years ago and doing a gratitude experiment and you had the pencil. Oh. And what I loved about that story was you approached gratitude at first, like many of us do, like, oh, whatever, I'm going to do this. But you looked beyond the actual wood and metal and rubber of the pencil. Can you share that story with us? Because I think it's it's so important for so many to, to attach more meaning to things than just the materialism. Well, that story has become pretty famous. I'm in at least three other movies telling the pencil story. And it's so relevant, it's so easy, and I want people to know how practical this is as well. I mentioned earlier that in the early part of my life when I was struggling and in poverty, and people said to be grateful, I would say, yeah, give me something to be grateful for and I'll be grateful. I was totally oblivious to what was already given to me because of my belligerence, because of my angry feelings, because I had a dream that didn't look like it was gonna be fulfilled, I was, I was struggling and I was unhappy about it. And I kept hearing about gratitude and I thought, okay, I'm gonna try this gratitude crap. And that's the attitude I had is that this isn't going to work. I'm just going to do it to just kind of uh, prove it. It doesn't work. And I remember picking up a pencil. This is a pen, but I picked up a pencil. And also, just to give you the situation, I this is decades ago. I'm in poverty. I am broke. I am unknown. I am unpublished. I am living in a dump. It's a one room, not even an efficiency, that had the bathroom and a hot plate and a bed and a desk all in the same room. There's no separation. That's how I was living. And it cost $200 a month. And back then, $200 might as well have been $2 million. And it took forever to pay, and I was often late. So I was not in what you would take for granted as this happy place. But I picked up the pencil and said, all right, I could be grateful for the pencil. I was not grateful, but I said, mm -hmm. I will be grateful for the pencil. And with this pencil, I can write a grocery list. Yeah, big deal. I can write a suicide note. Yeah, I might do that. I could write a poem. I could write a song. I could write a romance novel or short story, science fiction story. And as I started to brainstorm, beginning with skepticism, I started to feel differently. I started to think, oh, I, I could write the great American novel. I could write a manifesto. I could write a theater script. I could write a movie. I could write, wow, songs that could make a difference. And I started, and every time I tell this story, I actually get more enthusiastic because I start moving in from that zero space of skepticism and anger. I start moving into appreciation. And I looked at the pencil with a sense of awe going, wow, Look what all I can do with a pencil. <laughs> and then I turned it over and I saw the eraser and I went, oh my God, this is genius. This is genius. This is a this is a freaking stick <laughs> with a piece of rubber on the end of it. And I could write, you know, the Declaration of Independence was written with virtually a pencil. It was with uh, ink, but I could I could do all kinds of things. And even now I'm excited. My energy is up. My body is tingling a little bit. That's how I felt then. And that's the importance of this exercise, because I was still broke, still unknown, still unpublished, still in the dump, still didn't have 200 bucks. But something in me awakened. Mm. 
Because that window opened up inside of me, I was able to see a world that I was dismissing. I was able to see that I was alive on a planet with opportunities beyond belief and that some force was keeping me alive, whether it was the air or the gravity keeping me in place or my own body functioning you know, and being healthy. And I started to look at all of that. And I swear that was the turning point in my life. And I always tell the story and I always remind people, I was broke. I did this flippantly. But because I sincerely just began with the exercise and it had nothing to do with a pencil, I've had people say, can I buy that pencil? And I was like, it's not the pencil. (laughs) It could be anything. It could be a you know, whatever. And, um, and that's the point, no matter what's going on right now. And believe me, I know, God, I'm supposed to be overseas right now. All of my mm-hmm. speaking engagements have been canceled. We're supposed to have a two month tour of Europe. We're supposed to be in Italy, Slovenia, Romania, Portugal, all canceled. Uh, a lot of people, friends of mine, especially in Italy, Italy was hit hard and they locked down, they locked down. And a lot of people not being able to get what they need. I understand all of that. And I feel that just like everybody else. However, We have to look for what we're grateful for in this moment because the gratitude exists. We cannot outgive the universe. If we really stop to realize that somehow there's air here that's keeping Mm -hmm. me going and I'm not paying for that air. It's just, it's taking care of me and gravity is keeping me from floating off your monitor right now. You know, I'm just in my seat because of it. If we really start to move into things that we normally take for granted, we can be brought to our knees in tears. Hmm. We are so cared for. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante and I want to thank you for being a loyal listener to freedom mindset radio. You know, in this chaotic time of, coronavirus chaos, it's so important for people to have a process to define, create, and live their lives of freedom and fulfillment. I lay out just that process in my Amazon bestseller, Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. And in light of this turbulent time, I've dropped the Kindle price of my book to $4.50. That's a more than $2 drop in price. I do this because I truly believe that this is a process that will help those who need freedom and fulfillment now. Perhaps it's you. Perhaps you have spent the past five years, 10 years, 15 years trading away your freedom and fulfillment for a false sense of security and a toxic job and a lifestyle that doesn't fulfill you. And now you're realizing that security was an illusion and you want your freedom now. Go to fivepillarsoffreedom.com right now. There, you can get chapter one of my book absolutely free, and there's a link to purchase the book. As I said, we have dropped the price to $4.50 for the Kindle version of my book. I know the five pillars of the freedom lifestyle will help you define, create, and start living your freedom lifestyle now. Thanks again for being a listener. I wish you a day a week, a year of freedom and abundance. Is, is a lot of it, per, you know, at a time like now, obviously of gratitude and you find great gratitude for the things that you have around you. But you mentioned the, I had uh, two months worth of speaking gigs canceled. You've had speaking gigs canceled. I know Carolina, who's on here now, she's a massage therapist and she's talked about done. You know, people work in restaurants, done. 
how can you, I read a lot of stoicism and try to get to, you know, the perceptions of our expectations versus reality, but it's also hard to, um, uh, you know, uh, yesterday, uh, I was listening to Brian Rose. I know you've been on the Brian Rose program yeah. and, and he mm-hmm. in, interviewed, uh, Bruce Lipton and, yeah. and Dr. Lipton was talking about the fear yes. that is gripping us and actually making us more open right. to disease and to those things coming at us. There seems to almost be, well, not almost, there's a lot of virtue signaling going on these days where it seems if you don't watch the news, somehow you are lesser of a person. And if you do watch the news and share every chart of every death, every graph of every new case, somehow that's your duty. Where's the fine line between knowing what's going on and tuning out the news so that you don't allow fear to grip you and you can be truly grateful without sinking into the depths of, of marinating in the negativity and the scarcity. I love that line of questioning and I completely agree with Bruce Lipton. I've actually made a few videos on Instagram and Facebook where I said there's two viruses <laughs> and the second is worse than the first. The first is the coronavirus. The second is the mind virus, the virus of the mind concerning fear. And when we fall into fear, we lower our immune system. We actually make it easier for the first one to come visit. I have never endorsed watching the news. I have actually said that one of the best things you can do for your health, whether it's mental health, physical health, spiritual health, is turn off the mainstream news. It is programmed to push your buttons. It is called programming because that's what it is actually doing. It knows that fear and hate are two of the most powerful emotions, and it knows how to engage the reticular activating system in your mind by putting forefront right into your face things that will make you scared or things that will make you angry, and they will push your buttons. There is a third force that we want to pay more attention to, and that's the force of love. Now, I don't watch the news. I still am not watching the news. But somehow I know there's a virus. Somehow I know I'm supposed to wash my hands. Somehow I know there's a stay-at-home order right now. And what is the social distancing is the phrase that is out there? It's got to me. I know that. I don't know that any of us need to sit in front of the TV. If somebody really is concerned about what's happening in the world, I would say go on a news diet. Spend 15, 20 minutes, get the headlines, and then go and work on yourself. I really believe that what we are supposed to do is an inside-out approach to life. The very fact that we're told go to our room means go inside of ourselves. When we're told to stay inside, I think that is a metaphor for spiritually going inside ourselves. I think this is the opportunity for us to meditate, find gratitude, create come from within in whatever it is for us uniquely to do. I made another video yesterday. I was actually playing guitar and just talking to the camera, and I wanted to wish everybody a happy Easter, but also assure them that whatever you do is okay. Some people are actually going to go and create a movement of some sort online. I did that a few weeks ago. I had 30,000 people attend the virtual event. We got them all here. It was supposed to be a live one. Virus comes, so we just backpedaled and said, we'll do it online. Did it online. I say that what we're supposed to do is find whatever it is that is our unique contribution. 
I mentioned in my video yesterday, you know, if you want to go and watch TV, go watch TV. If you really want to go and sleep, go sleep. If you really want to go and meditate or make a gratitude list or make your own version of the pencil story, Godspeed to you, go do it. If you want to bake cookies and send them out, because uh, some of the heroes right now are actually the Amazon drivers, the UPS hmm. drivers, the FedEx drivers, the people that are delivering meals from restaurants, those are the people that are actually the warriors in the streets right now. And they too are doing what they feel is their life calling at this particular moment. So I, I warn against being spiritually snobbish and judging people in what they say and what they do. Be in charge of what you say and what you do. You had mentioned stoicism. Uh, stoicism has saved my life over the last year. I, I mentioned to you off camera, I'm going through a divorce. It's been lasting quite a bit. But the stoicism has helped me get through each day. Because the other big message is this too will pass. There have been plagues. There have been viruses. There have been world wars. There have been some pretty atrocious things throughout global history. This too will pass. Hang in there. It's amazing. Uh, every morning I read uh, Ryan Holiday, who's a fellow uh, a Texan, uh, the Daily Stoic, uh, and I also read the Dow. Um, and it's amazing, the Dow, the Daily Stoic, if you start reading the Bible with a different mindset towards some of the meanings in there. Like, Charles, I'm making my way through Charles Fillmore, Genesis right. and, and Prosperity. It's all been there. And I guess, I guess that was the, the, that was the underlying foundation of the secret. It's been here. This wisdom has been here for centuries and, um, it's nothing new. They call it new thought, but it's kind of old thought, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is very much old. The reason the secret did so well is it took all of these proven principles, primarily the law of attraction, but visualization and other things that we talked about that have been talked throughout history and proven to work and put it in something that the masses could absorb. That's the big key. I have books in my own library from the 1800s that talk about the law of attraction, specifically using the phrase. So it wasn't like the movie introduced anything new, but it did introduce those concepts in a digestible way. People could sit on their sofa, eat popcorn, and have it delivered to them which is how it needed to be. But none of it, as you point out, is new. It's been around for centuries. Marcus Aurelius, you know, he has a quote, it's on my wall over there, I know you can't see it, but it's a reminder to me. He says, quit arguing about what a good man is. Be one. Yes. And I just get shivers. I mean, it hits home. So I quit having a philosophical dialogue about it. You know what's right, go freaking do it. <laughs> the, um... You've mentioned a number of times meditation and what I love in your books and on your website and you have albums, you have a ton of different examples of meditation, meditation, sample meditations people can use. I urge people to go to mrfire.com, grab your books. There's meditations throughout. Um, you can find one that works for you um, and, and a process that works for you. Um, when you talk about meditation and clearing and clearing those limiting beliefs. And, uh, you know, I find if I don't do that every morning, my day is off. But you've also talked about the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. And I, I talk about this 
like you do. And, and, and people say it's magic. It's just mysticism. It doesn't work. When you talk about the conscious subconscious, isn't it basic science? I mean, I'm not telling myself to breathe right now. My subconscious is telling myself to breathe. Right. Now, this is uh, there's nothing mystical about the operation of the brain. It may be still mysterious because we don't completely understand it, but we have enough scientific backing and evidence and proven repeatable tests to tell us what's actually working. In my book, The Art and Science of Results, I actually am using the, the word science because of the backing on the different things I talk about in here. And so we know that visualization works. We know hypnosis works. We know how the subconscious mind will tend to want things that are emotional, will want things that, are, that you have an image for, and will pay attention to things you repeat. So if somebody watching right now really wants a new car or a new bike or whatever it happens to be, they need to have a graphic that represents it because that's how the brain's going to respond to it. It's not just talking about it, though that can generate emotion. It's seeing it, which is why vision boards are so popular. Vision boards were in the movie The Secret. It's usually a, a staple of all new thought and metaphysical science as well as brain science because the brain is responding to images, proven scientific fact, not just mysticism. This is actual the mystery of the brain, it responds to an image. So you want an image of whatever it is that you want to have do or be. The second thing you want is emotion. You cannot create without emotion. Emotion is the fire that activates the brain to help you go get the image that you say you want. Most people are focused on, as I mentioned earlier, love, uh, hate or fear. I want you to focus on love. You can look at your image with love. Now you have this fiery emotion, but it's a positive emotion that's telling your brain, this is what I want. Then the third thing you do is you repeat it. This is why so often they say when you awake in the morning, look at your goal list, look at your vision board, look at the things you want. When you're getting ready to go to sleep at night, do the same thing. Most of the time I tell people, put it on your phone, put it on your laptop, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your bathroom mirror, put it on your headboard, wherever you could see it because this repetition is programming the brain. None of that is metaphysics. All of what I just described there is proven how the brain works. I talk about it in the Money Love Speed book because there's a chapter on the reticular activating system. The reticular activating system was talked about in the 1960s with Maxwell Maltz and what was it, psycho-cybernetics. He called it your servo-mechanism, which is probably more mystical than what it needed to be, but he was trying to create some scientific term for it. So I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a results guy. I don't want to just talk about airy, fairy, woo-woo-ish kind of mystical stuff. If I can't actually create something with it, get a result from it, or take it to the bank, it's just mental masturbation at that point. <laughs> and, and, you know, that brings up, so when I was in high school football, right, they didn't want you to celebrate when you scored a touchdown. And what did the coach tell us? Act like you've been there before. Now that term, right? You you call it nevelization, but yes. it's that reticular activating system, right? Convince your your brain like you've already been there before. Whatever it is, that's part of the visualization process because I guess it's like the Steve Jobs piece, right? If you act like you've already been there before, then you can connect the dots going backward. Well, it's a it's what I would call a brain hack. It's this, it could be called a shortcoming of the brain because the brain doesn't know the difference or your mind doesn't know the difference between reality and imagined reality. 
And the way that we prove that is just think about the last time you had a disturbing dream or even a luscious dream. You woke up and maybe you are sweaty because you were scared. It wasn't real, but your body responded as if it was real because your brain didn't know that it wasn't real. And so we want to use that loophole, if you will, or as a brain hack, if you will. And what we do to nebulize it, which I love Neville. I talk about Neville all the time. I wrote about him in The Attractor Factor, the new books, Money Loves Speed, The Art and Science of Results. Neville's had a complete impact on me. Nevelizing is when you get into the experience of already having the very thing you say you want to have, do, or be. So if you haven't played the football game yet, but you're um, you're wanting to win, what you would do is now, days before the game, close your eyes and as much as possible, get into the felt sense bodily experience of the touchdown of the winning game or being carried off the field. But you actually don't just visualize it. Visualization works and visualization is good. You don't just visualize it, you feel it as if it's happening right now. The phrase I use, and I wrote a song called this, feel it real, feel it real. You feel as if it's already done. If you want a new car, instead of just imagining it, you imagine and feel with a kind of holographic intensity that it's in your driveway. And you went for a drive this morning. How did it feel to drive your brand new car, which is still in your driveway? This is in the direction of nebulizing. And then from a scientific standpoint, we're using the loophole of the brain to create a reality that doesn't quite exist yet by fooling the mind. And, and I want to give a shout out and thank you for everyone joining us. We got over 30 comments over on LinkedIn. Nice. And one of those comments goes to the heart of, you know, when we talk about vision board and we talk about visualization, one, one trap that I always find is I, I almost, I, I, I make it too complicated for myself because I've, I've put things on my vision board that later on I've had a feeling of, you know what, I did that because of ego, not because of, uh, and, and it calls to mind it, when you and Brian Rose talked, he said, listen, if I have a, if I have a London real jet, if I just <laughs> have it just to have a jet versus flying my guests around and being able to have greater impact or right yeah. now, I told my wife, I said, I'd like a jet because so we can fly somewhere without, you know, whatever's going on here with the virus, but new fasts. And, and this goes to the heart of that. Um, it's kind of the, why do we look for more and not be happy with what we have? Does it depend on what that more is? If it's just more money for the sake of money, that's different than more meaning, more f freedom, more fulfillment. I love the question and thank whoever put that in there uh, because it's worth looking at. And what I've learned is somebody asked a question like that. There's lots of other people who have it on their mind who didn't raise their hand or type it in. So thank that person for putting the yes. question in. Thank you, Newf. Uh, one of the fastest way to attract more of what you would like in your life is to totally appreciate what you already have. This goes back to gratitude. I want people to attract out of fulfillment, not attract out of desperation. There is a very clear difference because when people are attracting out of desperation, they're actually mentally sending out a signal of struggle and a signal that they don't really believe they deserve what they want or that they're going to get what they want. I really want people to be at a complete place of satisfaction.
I met a woman in Hawaii, God, it might've been 30 years ago. And she had this little slogan that she put at the end of her emails. And it said, I'm totally satisfied. I just want more. And I've always loved it. I wish I had come up with that line because it's basically saying, I'm already satisfied. I'm good. And I would welcome more. That's the mental place to be in. Now, at the same time, when people start talking, like you mentioned having a private jet, what I say, and I might have said it on Brian's show, I don't remember if it was on London Real or not, but I try to say this all the time as a reminder. Whenever you state a goal for yourself, see if you can state it in a way where it not only helps you, but about two or three other people at hmm. least. If your intention is going to help two or three other people, then you're going to nudge it out of just for you and just out of your ego. I don't believe the ego is bad, despite Ryan Holiday saying <laughs> the ego is bad. <laughs> I, I think the ego needs to serve. And what the ego needs to serve is whatever the more spiritual dream happens to be. On Brian Rose's show, I think we were talking about him having a private jet. If he only wanted it for himself and he only wanted it to gloat, I would think, man, that is pure ego. I don't know that I would completely endorse it, but you know, it's your dream. I don't know what's going on in the inside of you. But it led to the conversation that, well, wait a minute, you're interviewing people from all over the world. If you can use your private jet to pick me up when I'm in Texas and take me to London, that's a win-win. Yeah. You know, it benefits me and it benefits him and it's going to benefit his audience because they're, he, they're going to see the interview. And in fact, he could even start broadcasting from his private jet, <laughs> which would make it even more interesting. He so, may have to. They keep trying to shut him down over there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, they're interviewing me in a week or so, but they're going to do it like you're, you and I are doing it. It's going to be online virtually, yeah. which is another thing to be grateful for. You know, our parents or grandparents went to war. We're asked to go to our room, and because of the internet, we can live and breathe and learn and create and be curious and be fulfilled. We can order food. I mean, we can do so many things that they could not do. It is profound what we could be grateful for. Um, but as for the goals, if we can have a goal that goes for, includes me, but also includes two or three other people at least, then we've expanded it to be more of a wholesome, spiritual, healthy goal. I love that. I love that. So a topic that I would love to finish on here is a grand finale. It's a word that a lot of people here might not be familiar with, a Hawaiian word, ho'oponopono. And you write about this in a number of your books. Um, it, it's fascinating to me. And when I first read it, and I think you've written, when you first heard it, right. it's kind of like, what? Really? <laughs> what? And And... So can you tell the story of Ho'oponopono, how you came upon it? Because it's a fascinating story, but then also getting into the nitty gritty of how I, I started trying it this morning uh, oh. to lower stress. I found my stress levels rising over the past couple of days. Just, just, we have four kids, you know, just being told to go to my room, you know, it, it, it's counter to my sense of freedom, <laughs> but um, as a healing tool, yeah. as a tool of forgiveness for ourselves and others, um, I, I'd love to end on this note with Ho'oponopono. Well, you know how to bring down the curtain because <laughs> Ho'oponopono was probably the most profound, the most mysterious, the most mystical, the most <sighs> spiritually empowering 
tool that I've ever come across in my life. And at this point, believe me, with all the books I've done, the work I've done on myself, the research I've done, I've seen quite a bit. And yes, I heard a story at this point, almost 20 years ago, about a therapist who helped heal an entire ward of mentally ill criminals by working on himself. Hmm. And he used an unusual Hawaiian methodology that virtually nobody knew of at the time. And I first heard the story and dismissed it. That's how open-minded I was. Uh, <laughs> another year passed, and I heard it again. Hey, have you heard about the guy, the therapist, who helped heal the mentally ward criminals? I'm like, give me a break. But I got curious. I thought, well, what if it's true? What if it's true? And I did the detective work. I did the leg work. And back then, you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't anything on this subject. And I'm talking about Ho'oponopono. You don't have to remember the name, let alone spell it. I often call it the ho-ho method. But <laughs> ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-ho-
to the divine, whatever the word is for you. And that's when you're saying, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. You're repeating it. It's a kind of a prayer if you're into rosaries, like I wear malas and so forth. Sometimes when I touch, if people see me fidgeting with my malas, I might've done it on London Real. When I was touching, I was actually doing, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. You grew up Catholic, so you know what a rosary Rosary is, and often sure. they would tell you to do Hail Marys around the rosary. In Buddhist terms, you have 108 beads, and you would often do the uh, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. So you're doing the phrases inside yourself to your connection to divine while you're feeling whatever you're feeling. What's going on? The four phrases, as I talk about, especially in the second book, At Zero, are a shorthand for a longer message. I'm sorry for the beliefs that may have attracted this event. Please forgive me for being unconscious to how I've been involved or how I co-created what I'm feeling. Thank you for healing this, erasing the beliefs and taking care of me. I love you for this process. I love you for my life. I love you, period, God. That is a very rough, this is a very Cliff Notes condensed, tight little ball explanation. But I'm telling you, people can use it right now. You don't need much more. You don't have to go read the books. You can if you like. I'm proud of the book. In fact, I will confess as an author who's written 80 books, the only one I've ever reread was (laughs) Zero Limits. Because Zero Limits felt like it was channeled, if I can use that term. And it's such an incredible incredible story, and I felt directed in how I wrote it, that even when I read it, it feels like I'm reading what somebody else wrote, even though it was me. So all you really need is you feel what you're feeling. You got confusion right now, that's what you're feeling. Inside yourself, you imagine you're picking up the phone and you're going to call God the divine. And then you're saying, I love you. Please take care of this problem. I'm sorry for whatever part of me created it. Please forgive me for my ancestors, for my beliefs, for the mindset that I have. Thank you for this healing. That's it in a nutshell. But expect miracles when you do it. And it's different than, you know, as someone who grew up uh, and, and has been trying to escape uh, what I would call harmful Catholic guilt. Yes. When I see the, I'm sorry, please forgive yes. me. That that's my first, that's my first thought. Um, how is this different? Yeah, that's uh, thank you so much for clarifying that because that is something that people stumble over. And this is not about guilt. This is not about punishment. This is not about self uh, judgment in any way, shape or form. The way that I usually describe it is, Well, you know, it's one year ago this week, my father died. And when people came to the funeral, they very often said, I'm sorry. Well, if I wanted to take that literally, I would go, why are they sorry? They didn't kill him. The other way to look at this is right now, we don't really go into grocery stores and so we're we're staying away from people. But when in the old days and the days that will return, we went into the stores and they were crowded and I would bump into somebody and I would say, oh, I'm sorry. It just meant I wasn't paying attention. That's all. There is no punishment. There is no guilt. It is simply saying I was unaware. And that's what we're saying. When I 
I, I'm trying to think of an example. If there was something going on in me right now and I said, please forgive me, what I'd be speaking to is please forgive me for whatever beliefs that might be in my mind that helped this situation be manifested. It doesn't mean I was bad. It doesn't mean I need punished. It doesn't mean I am guilty. It means I was unaware. Same thing with I, I'm sorry. It is much like if I <clears throat> bumped into somebody, dropped something, if I spilled my water, I was like, oh, jeez, I'm sorry. That doesn't mean I need to be punished. That doesn't mean I was guilty. It means I was unaware. That's the mentality to bring to those statements. And and one thing that I know that you that you love uh, or that you write uh, that I love that you write is that in any uh, well, let's use social media right now because I know a lot of people are getting frustrated on social media. This person wants this, and they want me to go to jail because I went. I thought about going to church, and this, and and people are getting angry. There's a lot of anger. There's always a lot of anger on social media. But whether it's conflict on social media, conflict with a relative conflict, one of the things you write is that in any conflict, if, if there's five people that you're arguing with that are upsetting you, the one common denominator is always you. <laughs> and I think you've also written. When you tell someone that, the first thing they want to do is is punch you, right? Like, w w it's my fault, but it's it's true, right? Without you, you can't have the conflict. <laughs> right, and it's not their fault. That's one of the things we have to keep bringing back to an awareness. It's not your fault. In fact, back, way back in the 1980s, I remember in Houston, there was a therapist who advertised on television. I have no idea who he is or what he was doing, but I never forgot his line. He said, it's not your fault but it is your responsibility. Hmm. Oh God, Ugh, that hits. Whatever is going on, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. There's a book called You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero, and she's become a friend. I found her book years ago, read it, just loved it. And I got to have lunch with her and I, I told her, I said, one of the standout lines in your book is, it's not your fault that you're screwed up. But it is if you stay screwed up. <laughs> if, if on that note, if if there's someone in your life who is like I recommend to people on social media, unfollow someone. If 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 every time you see them post, but if there's people in your life who are a relative who you you can't necessarily i mean if a toxic relationship is a toxic relationship and you may just have to separate yourself. Yeah. But if it's someone who half the time just kind of digs in. Maybe they have a scarcity mindset. I call those people in your lives scarcity pimps. You know, maybe they programmed you when you were young and all that, but you don't want to completely get rid of them. Do you just repeat Ho'oponopono every, every time you see them? Is that, is that the key you put up with them and repeat it? <laughs> well, it's interesting because first that doesn't happen to me anymore. Hmm. And so there's two answers here. One is going to be very metaphysical and one is going to be very uh, stoicism oriented. The stoicism oriented one comes right from Marcus Aurelius, who's the poster boy for stoicism these days, thanks to Ryan Holiday. <laughs> and Basically, Marcus Aurelius said, you should expect it. You should expect it. When you wake up in the morning, he said, you're, you should expect you're going to run across critics, naysayers, people who will do bumbling idiot kind of things, people who will insult you. If you expect it, 
it's not going to hurt when it happens. It's like, oh, yeah, I knew that was coming. It's a little bit like when Buddha says life is suffering, but as soon as you accept that it's suffering, it's not suffering anymore. Hmm. It's like not accepting it makes it hurt. But when you realize, oh, there's going to be rough passages in life, and, well, there was one of them. There's one right now. We're going through a pandemic. Kind of expected it. In fact, Stoicism points that out. It's like a virus. What were you expecting? There was going to be something. Yeah. At some point, so my first level of an answer comes from the Stoicism. The second level is more, more Ho'oponopono-ish and more mystical and mysticism. And that is the reality that when I remove those beliefs in me that those people are voicing, those people either leave or stop saying them. Hmm. And what that means is this is incredibly self-aware and this is incredibly self-responsible. You take total responsibility for what's going on in the world, which is part of what Ho'oponopono teaches, one of the hardest things to actually accept. But if somebody started talking, I already forgot the example you just gave, but something about the shortages in the world or shortages of money or whatever it happens to be, the way I look at it is they are expressing beliefs I unconsciously have. Hmm. And once I remove those beliefs, they stop saying them or they leave. Much like Dr. Hulen in that mental hospital for the criminally insane, when he clears up in him what is being pushed by the illusion of them, they got better. But it took place in him first. This is an advanced concept that we could, you know, have a whole other show about at some point. Yeah, no, it is amazing because people reflect <laughs> what's inside of you and and um, yeah, that's, that, that's the whole thrust. Well, Dr. Joe, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I want to thank everyone who joined us. We got 45 plus comments and, and adding on LinkedIn. A number of people, Carolina, practices Ho'oponopono. She said it's been a life changer. Uh, You've changed lives here today. We're going to continue to push this out, break it up, put it on freedommedianetwork.com. Thank you everyone for joining us. And Dr. Joe, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. I loved it. You are a great host with wonderful questions and you have a lot of great questions coming in and comments from wonderful people. Godspeed to all of you. This too will pass. Thank you, Dr. Joe, and thank you everyone for joining us here on the Freedom Media Network. 